been there in about three weeks. Uh, but that's because the, one of the overriding themes of the book of Esther is the providence of God or the control of God, that God is in control no matter how bleak the cir circumstances may be. And so um, we, uh, we, we took a little detour to talk about uh, the providence of God and what that looks like because you and I live under the promise, providence of God. Now, there are two very, did I tell you all go to Romans 8? Did I tell you all that? Okay, Romans 8, 28. There are two uh, very important concepts that we've been talking about as it relates to um, uh, the will of God. And it's essential that you understand these. So I'll probably remind you of them uh, every week. The first is what? Does anybody remember? The sovereign will of God. Now, somebody tell me, what is the sovereign will of God? What does that mean when we use that expression? This is, this is a concept you, you have to understand if you want to have any grasp of um, the sovereignty and the will of God and where you fit in. What is the sovereign will of God? What does that involve? Okay, it's God's perfect will. What's that? It will be accomplished. In other words, it's going to happen, right? In, in fact, you can't stop it, and hell can't stop it. It is going to happen. That's his sovereign will, all right? Now, that's concept number one, and you have to understand that. That means that God is going to get done what God has, from prior to creation, God has planned to do. He's going to accomplish it. It is going to happen. God's ultimate will is going to happen, all right? What's the second concept? Somebody tell me. It's permissive will. And who does that involve? That involves us, all right? So God has, has so designed uh, his uh, kingdom, if you will, uh, that that he has, within his sovereign will, he has allowed you to interact with him through your choices. Now, now, the only person that loses in this is you if you don't make the right choices, right? Because, again, his sovereign will is going to be accomplished. This is really a privilege, we said, because it means God says, I've created you to have a relationship with you, and in having the right kind of relationship with you, guess what? You'll get to be a part of my incredible divine plan for the ages. But if you choose not to, if that's the choice you make, it won't stop this, but it will affect you for all eternity. Right? So that's, that's the sum. I was talking to some of the ladies over here. I've had a lot of people saying, man, this is, I've enjoyed what we've been discussing here. But they said, but the bottom line, here's what they said. The bottom line is we can't fully understand this, can we? And yeah, that's the simple way of saying it. We can't fully understand it. But we can have a concept of it, right? Uh, I share with them, I said, yeah, that reminds me of what the Scripture says, that right now, in this life, 
we see through a glass dimly, the Bible says. In other words, we can't make it. We got a glimpse. Now, in heaven, there will be no confusion of any sort about how does this function, right? But right now, to us, sometimes it's hard to, to completely comprehend the sovereign will of God and the permissive will of God. But listen, thank goodness that he has given, he has built into his kingdom system, if you'll use that term, the ability for you to choose and be a part of what he's doing or to choose not to be a part of, to choose to have a relationship or choose not to have a relationship. And your choice is, doesn't stop this. It only it, it affects you. So God created you. He wants this relationship. If you don't have permissive will, guess what you become? You become a robot. You become a robot. I put you here. You're going to decide this way. I don't care what you think. Now, does God's sovereign will ever weigh upon us and direct us? Yeah. And you know how God directs us toward his sovereign will? Through something. Well, the Word, yes, very, and the Holy Spirit. The Word and the Spirit work together. So I read the Word, and then the Spirit of God helps it resonate in my life. Make sense? And the Spirit of God and the Word of God will always try to move you to the will of God, the sovereign will of God. Does that make sense? Okay, so Romans 8.28, let's go back to that. Romans 8.28, I bet you know that verse, don't you? One of the most quoted verses in the, the Scripture. Uh, look at it with me. We know that for those who love God, that's a condition, right? That's relational. Those that love God, what? All things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. You remember, uh, we talked about you've been put here on purpose, with a purpose. And so, this is a part of his sovereign plan. All right? Uh, and by the way, it goes on in verse 29, say, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, uh, you say, well, if he predestined, there's not a choice. Look at what he predestined them to, class. Do you know what, I believe in predestination, but, but careful. This is not talking about it's predestined, it's done, and you know, it, all of those he called, many are called, few are chosen, based on how they respond to the call that God has given to them. Listen to this though. What is God predestined? All, everybody he created, what is, he's predestined them to something. What did he predestine them to? What? Well, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Peter writes. But he tells you right there what they're predestined to. Every, every person that God created, he wants them in the end to look like Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? So those he foreknew. Let's go back to Psalm 139. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and... Um, and, and created you, you know, with purpose. That's what Psalm 139 talks about. So he, he foreknew that you were, before you were in the womb. He tells Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I 
I created you and I set you apart. All of that kind of stuff, all that comes into play right here. And then, so he says, so who I foreknew, who was that class? All of us. He said, now my big plan for all of everybody was and is that they should look like Jesus Christ. But some will not. Why? Because they will permissively reject Christ. But if you ask God, what is your big plan for humanity? Is Paul said, I, I want them to become conformed to. That was, I brought them in here. I, I didn't bring them in here to die and go to hell, but some will. Now, have you ever heard of a thing? This is a little, this is a little stretch, but have you ever heard of a thing called double predestinarian? Okay, let me tell you what double predestination. Now, if it, uh, some of our Calvinist friends would say that predestination means that the elect is the elect and they're going to be saved, right? Uh, and doesn't matter. In the end, they're going to be be saved. All right. That's not what this passage is talking about, though some have tried to use it. And by the way, this, the context of this is actually sent to Israel in particular. But at any rate, a double predestination, God didn't create some to go to heaven, some to go to hell. Double predestination essentially says that some are created for heaven and some are created for hell. So those that weren't elect, they were, they were elect. They were elected to go to hell. Um, and I, I'm not going to get into all that tonight, but the fact is, if you believe that there is just a limited elect that God already chose, and that's the way it is, which I believe is completely inconsistent with the body of Scripture, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. And, and, but if you believe, I, I was having a conversation with um, a guy uh, a few years back, a pastor, and he said, well, and he, he believed in um, limited atonement. Limited atonement is a Calvinistic, uh, one of their five Calvinistic concepts, and it says this, that Christ only died for the elect. All right? And uh, uh, he said, uh, I said, well, I said, so um, only the elect are saved. He said, that's right. I said, so that means that the vast majority of humanity that God has created, he created from the get-go to go to hell. Right? By default, if you're not elect to heaven, you're elected to hell. And he said, <laughs> he, I, I said, right? He said, well, we don't like to say it that way. I said, of course you don't. Why would you say it that way? And I told him, I said, if I believe that, I'd get up. I was sitting at my desk. I said, I'd get up from this desk. I'd walk out that door, and I'd never come back. And he said, oh, no, Pastor, you've done so many great things and, and influence. All. I said, no, listen. I would know I had not done anything for God. And then I pointed over my shoulder, and I said, and all those people back there in those houses, I wouldn't worry about them. Because if they're saved, they're saved. If they're not, they're not. And there's not a thing I can do about it. I said, I might as well go out and, and leave and, and never come back in here. Why would I spend the rest of my life trying to tell people you have a choice to come to God when in fact you don't? 
And if you're not elect, I hate to tell you this, you're going to hell. And God created you to go to hell. He said, well, he said, I said, well, think for God so loved the world. He didn't say, and then I blew him away. I said, I know what I'm talking about. He said, you do? I said, yeah. I said, I was a Calvinist before Calvinism was cool. He said, what happened? Why did you change? I said, because I got honest with myself and the Scripture. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world. You can't reconcile it. The only way you can, can believe that is you have to lay your belief system on top of the Scripture and go ahead and read the Scripture through what you've already chosen to believe. And that's a cool thing now. I have to tell you, it's a cool thing. I, there aren't, I'm kind of a dinosaur now. I really am. They, they, tell us, they tell us in Southern Baptist life, three out of every four graduates from our seminaries are coming out Calvinist. So I'm a dinosaur. But I, I, it does kind of blow some of their minds when I tell them I, I, used, to, I used to be a Calvinist. And, I, and I, I always love to say, and I was a Calvinist before it wasn't cool. And, um, and, and, but at any rate, that's not even my point. My point is, what did Jesus, in, when he predestined his creation, he predestined them to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's his desire for all of humanity. But this, our permissive will may mean I'm, I look more like my other father. You remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, you are, you are of your father, the devil. There's an image you're going to take one way or the other. Um, so, but Romans 8.28, let's get back to that. Y'all have used my time up again. And we know that for those who love God, that's relational, all things work together for good. Now let me tell you, that's, that's about providence, right? But it's also about how God can take things, even things where you've made a dumb choice. Has anybody besides me in here ever made a dumb choice? Okay, all right. Uh, many dumb choices, right? And uh, so here's what this reminds us of. Because we have this relationship with God, God says, Ray, even the dumb stuff, the dumb choices you've made, the dumb decisions you've made, I can redeem them. I can do something good. I can. Now, this passage, oft quoted, is often misquoted. Or should I say misexplained? When I was growing up as a kid, I'd hear it sometimes, and it was like, well, you know, all things are good to those who love. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that all things are good because you belong to God. He's saying God causes all things to work together for good. So God takes a lot of your mistakes and a lot of your bad decisions, and guess what he does with them? He if you respond properly, guess what he does? He, he says, okay, let's redeem this. Let's, let's get good out of this in your life and for my glory. See? So he takes that stuff. Now, now what, is that? what does that mean? That means providence for your life, right? 
So God's providence is, I created you, and I can take even the, the worst things in your life, and we can make something good. I can make something. You can't. You just surrender. But you've got, but the surrender part is your choice. And he didn't say, you make something good out of it. He said, he said, God causes good to come from it to those who are called according to his purpose. That means they're walking in fellowship with him. Right? So this verse reminds us that there is the sovereign will of God and the sovereign ability of God with my, uh, my permissive choices. So I can make a choice and it can be the wrong choice. And God, and, and you know, most of the time, would you agree with this statement? We know when we've made a bad choice. Most of the time, there may be some, some dumb choices that we've made where it took us a while to get there, right? But most of the time, we, we kind of know. Well, I, you know, look, I told you, I told you the story Sunday morning about how I failed God and uh, it, with that but I, I really felt like, you know, Jesus walked up to me at those gas pumps, and I, I missed, I missed. And I told you, you know, how, I mean, it, it, it literally, it, it broke my heart. It didn't take me long to realize I'd missed. It doesn't take us long usually, does it? What makes the difference? How we permissively respond. Right? Now, I'm glad, I'm glad that broke my heart. I'm glad I didn't drive out and say, you know what, I, I, I think I missed that. Oh, well. But because I know I missed it, and because God broke my heart with it, guess what? It caused my antenna to go up. It caused me to say, Jesus, help me to be more aware that you show up in ways that sometimes I'm not even expecting. Right? And so, hey, and so um, Jesus says, well, Ray, okay, but I'm never going to let you live this down. Does he say that? No, he says, okay, lesson learned. Uh, a lesson I'll probably have to learn over and over again, by the way. But lesson learned. So, so did, did anything good come out of that? Yes. I grew some. And by the way, most spiritual growth is a result of pain. Something rocks us. Uh, most spiritual growth is a result, I mean significant spiritual growth is a result of pain. And so God then takes that if we respond to Him, and what does He do? He does something good in our life with it, right? Man, I can't believe our time is gone. Okay, well, we'll just click off the Romans 8, 28. Y'all have any questions? <laughs> y'all see that list? I, I really want to go. Are y'all okay if we just keep going this road? Because... I, I want to go through, the, these, all these passages are, are fabulous. I restudied them all today. I can't believe I only got one of them. Uh, but 
Um, if y'all don't mind, I, I, I'd like to stay on this track a little bit. Esther, she started it. Esther started it. So if you've got a problem with it, blame it on Esther, okay? Um, I'm not sure that'd be wise, but you can. Anybody have any questions or comments before we're gone? Yeah, because God stepped in and said, Wayne, you don't know what you've done or doing, and I'm going to shut the door. By the way, aren't you glad that God intervenes sometimes for you just because He loves you? Aren't you glad for that? And by the way, did you know you can be walking with God and God can slam a door? Paul, you remember Paul, they were going into uh, Asia, and God said, no, that's not where I want you to go. This is Paul the Apostle, and he shut the door so they couldn't go and had to turn and go, Paul was pretty good at walking with God, and yet he was going where God didn't want him to go, so God finally said, nope, I'm not going to let you go there, I'm going to turn you, and Paul understood that as the providence of God in his life. Sometimes the providence of God says, I'm just not going to let you do that. Can I close with a story? Y'all know I'm going to anyway. I remember years ago, I was in Florida and there was a church that was asking me to come and be their pastor. And... um, it, I, everybody was, oh, this is the place. you got to go there because this place is in the right place, you know, demographically. It's going to explode. And, and, uh, and so they, they contacted me and they said, you got to do this. You, you, you're the man. But I had this problem. I couldn't get peace. All my buddies in the ministry were saying, you're kidding. You're, you're kidding. You're not going to go and take that? And I said, I'm, I'm praying. And I was. And, and I was praying and I wasn't sleeping. It was that kind of deal. At night, I'd just lay in the bed and I couldn't. Y'all have had those nights before, you know? And it wasn't bad pizza. It was just, I, I was wrestling with, with God. And I'm laying there and, and all of my friends keep on. Well, what you going to do? What you going to do? And I finally got to this. And they were calling their committee about, and I was putting them off as long as I could because I wanted to hear from God and I knew it was, as opportunities go, it was one of those that you're supposed to do. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? But I just didn't have the peace, and I'm praying and praying, and so I keep putting the committee off. Well, I, I, I'm still seeking the Lord. And this lasted for six weeks. They were very patient. And they kept telling me, you're the man. You're the man. You're the man. And, you know, you want to hear that, right? I didn't want them to say to me, You're, you'll do, right? And, and man, I'm wrestling with God. And so I've got this pressure from my buddies who, and, and friends who love me. And, oh, you you got to do this. So finally I get to the point, the chairman of their committee calls me and he says this. He says, 
Brother Ray, he said, uh, we, we believe you're God's man for us, but we're at a place where we need an answer. And I said, I know you are. And I said, I, you've been so patient. I am so sorry that I have not been able to give you an answer. But I said, if you'll give me till Thursday, I will have an answer for you. You say, well, how could you do that? So here's what I did. I, I'm taking heaven by storm. Oh, God, please, you know. Uh, fasting, praying, God, please. And uh, so Thursday comes, and I still don't have peace. And I got to give them an answer. Allison says, what, what are you going to do? She says, I'm behind you, whatever. And she's always been that way. I am behind you. Now, we pray separately. You don't need to hear all that, how we do that. But I said, well, everybody says it's such a great opportunity. All my friends say, can't believe you. You're not going to do this or, or you wouldn't do this. And Ona, I said, so here's what I've come to the conclusion. That unless God intervenes, I guess I'll tell. Now think about that. That's how I said it. I guess I will tell them yes. Now that's not very convincing on my part. And I wasn't going to say to them, well, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But I said, I guess I'll tell them yes. Because I said, I haven't got a word from God one way or the other. And so it's Thursday. I'm going to call. I've had designated time to call them. And um, here, here's how my prayer trend, uh, changed between uh, that morning and the time I had to call. I said, okay, Lord, I haven't heard anything one way or the other, and I've got to let them know something today. So, Lord, unless you intervene or unless you tell me clearly no, I'm going to say yes. That's all I knew to do. An hour later, I'm visiting a local hospital. It's called Morton Plant Hospital, Clearwater, Florida. I walk, I'm walking down the hall, and I don't know any other way to say it, but just say like this. It was like a voice shouted at me and went, no. I mean, it was one of those moments where you, I get chills thinking about it because I remember just stopping in the hospital, and, and, and then it dawned on me. It, he, God sometimes yells in your mind or your heart. And I mean, it was just like that. No. And immediately a burden was lifted from me. I mean, it was gone. And it didn't matter what my friends said. It didn't matter what my buddies in the pastoral ministry said. It didn't matter. Suddenly the burden was lifted. I had a word from God. I went right to the phone right there. And I called and I said, look, thank you so much. God spoke to me. And you have honored me. But I'm not the man. And uh, I can't accept but thank you. And they were very gracious and everything. That's a long story, I know. But listen, sometimes God will just, in the ninth hour, he intervenes. And says, I'm going to keep you, Ray, from doing something that I don't want you to do. But I think it, part of it was the journey to get there, the wrestling and seeking. And God took me right to the end to see if I was going to, but I was about to accept it, and boom, no. So, um, you look, if, if you find yourself in that, don't, don't quit seeking God. If you're walking with Him, God will and can and is very capable of interrupting. 
before. And if you ever wonder, I, I, what kind, how do I make a decision? I've counseled many guys in ministry and, and those not in the ministry before. Sometimes you get to a point, if you have a deadline that has been imposed on you, not from God, but from someone else, then here's what you do. God, based on the best information I have and in prayer, having sought you and in your word, and I can't come to a conclusion that you have, are telling me something one way or the other, then this is what I have decided to do, but please prevent it if it is not what you want me to do. Does that make sense? Because I've got a deadline. If you don't have a deadline, be careful with that. Does that make sense?